I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 16 as we finish up our study with Samson. I know you're ready to move on from this guy. Dry dock or restoration? What is it? Judges chapter 16. It says, when Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, he sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Okay, he's been playing a game with her, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, he just gave up to the nagging. He said, okay, here it is. And he told her what the secret was. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. And they paid her for selling him out. She made him uh, sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him and his strength left him and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. What a sad commentary, right? But how many of us really know the power of God working in our lives? Do we know that? I'm afraid at times we may overlook that and may not realize that God is not working the way that he once did. And so then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza, or Gaza and bound him with bronze chains. And, and he was a grinder in the prison. In other words, he served as their donkey, grinding the um, grain. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Very encouraging, isn't it? Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice, for they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. It has happened when they were in high spirits that they said, call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from prison and he entertained them. And they made him stand before the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson, wa Samson was amusing them. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Then he grasped the two middle pillars and, and on which the house rested and braced himself against them the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the uh, lords and all the pillar, uh, people who were then there. So the dead whom he killed at the death were more than those whom he killed in his life. 
Then his brothers and all his father's household came down, took him, brought him up, and buried him at Zorah in Eshtaroth, in the tomb of Manoah, his father. Thus they had judged Israel 20 years. As we look at this, it reminds me of a story that I read about, about a British uh, Navy uh, that was involved in some peacetime maneuvers. And uh, as they were at sea, they were uh, involving this column of cruisers uh, in formation and all and going about uh, following through with the orders. And, and they were uh, streaming along in formation when a signal was given uh, to execute a 90-degree uh, turn. Now, the maneuver, it, it went off uh, flawlessly except for one cruiser. That's all it takes, isn't it? One cruiser whose captain missed the signal. Now, the ship almost collided with the one in front. And when it swerved to avoid a collision, you can just see this, the whole convoy was thrown into confusion. And only uh, some very skilled seamen and uh, the other captains prevented a serious accident. And then when some order finally came about and was regained, the admiral on the flagship sent a message to the captain who had caused all the trouble. This is what he said. Captain, what are your intentions? And immediately the reply came back, Sir, I plan to buy a farm. <laughs> he knew without being told that one missed signal like that had terminated his naval career. Failure meant dry dock for him. This is what we're talking about tonight, dry dock or restoration. Failure is one of the realities of life, especially in the Christian life. And may I say, there is not a signal, signal person even the most mature, single, excuse me, uh, mature and saintly who does not experience significant failure in his walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you all agree? I've seen numerous times when I've failed. And I believe that all of us would have to agree to that. Anyone who thinks that he or she does not apply to this, they're badly deceived at least the way the scriptures teach, Christians fail. But uh, so often we're afraid to announce our failures. We're afraid to admit our failures. When we do fail, what happens? Are we put in spiritual dry dock? Are we put there to spend the rest of our life watching others, observing others, doing what we no longer can do? Some people feel that way. The best answer to that question, though, is found in the Word of God. And it's written in the lives of people who knew what it meant to fail. One of the best places to go is to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. God's Hall of Faith, they call it. With examining the names mentioned there, there is scarcely an individual in that chapter 
without a serious blemish in their life. Now that should be an encouragement to us because we're not going to be perfect Christians. And a lot of times when we make a mistake or you know someone that's made a mistake and maybe a terrible mistake and now they see it and they repent but they just somehow can't get through it, we need to take them to the Word of God. These are people that God used these are people that made mistakes and they were not left in dry dock were they they were able to be used by God thank God that he's in the business of restoring failures and not dry docking them if he was then unfortunately we would all be in dry dock human failures becomes God's heroes of faith I like what Erwin Lutzer, one of his books that he wrote was Failure is a Backdoor to Success. This is a great principle that involves God's great grace. The spiritual successful Christian is not the Christian who never fails. The spiritual successful Christian is a believer who learns how to accept God's remedy for failure. What he has for us to overcome this. And in studying these people like this, one of the gems that he talks about in God's hall of faith, person that was restored is Samson. Samson's fall was not and this is something that we need to understand. Samson's fall was not beyond God's reach of grace. Our falls, our failures are not beyond God's reach of grace. Thank God Samson's fall was not too deep. Nor are ours. And we will be looking at God's restoration of Samson at the end of his life. But let's just look from grace to disgrace first. From grace to disgrace. Samson was called from birth to be a Nazarite. He was called with a very special calling from birth. He had godly parents. He couldn't blame it on his parents. His parents were very godly. And so they wanted the best for his son, their son. He was endowed by the Holy Spirit with unique strength for a special mission against the Philistines. Not only that, Samson, after that, we see that he, as he grows up, he is making this journey and he goes down to Timnah uh, where he meets a young Philistine woman, which he should not have been dealing with, but he lusted after and wanted to marry her. And he does. Samson with uh, his strength during this time, kills a lion single-handedly with his bare hands. And after visiting his future wife, he returned home later to travel back to see her at Timnah. And on his way, he found some honey in the carcass, a lion's carcass. And he ate some and he gathered some for his parents. Then we see at the wedding feast, Samson threw out a riddle to his uh, groomsmen and he laid a bet out there with them to see if they could 
uh, understand the riddle and uh, get the riddle. If they couldn't, then they owed him. If they, uh, you know, if they could, then he owed them. Well, the bet included uh, 30 uh, fine linen garments and 30 festive robes. And the groom men, the, they accepted this bet, but they couldn't understand the riddle. They couldn't get it. So what happens is they approach Samson's wife with an ugly threat, and the wife gave in and told them what the riddle meant. And then Samson said to them in, in chapter 14, 18, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out the riddle. So what does he go do? Uh, go and do? He goes out and he kills 30 Philistines, took their tunics, their robes, and gave them to the groomsmen. Then he returns home and pouts. And while he does, well, he's left the bride at the altar, so to speak. So the father, this is an embarrassment to them, so the father gives the best man to the bride or gives a bride to the best man and they get married. So Samson returns to his wife, so he thought. And what does he find out? He finds out that she's married to somebody else. So he goes out in anger and he went down in the valley of Sorek. He tied um, a, a jackal together with firebrands and set it afire and it ran through the, uh, uh, the grain fields. And so in turn, what did he do? He caught 150 pairs of jackals and uh, doing the same thing, he turned them loose and they tore through the grain fields, the vineyards and olive orchards and it became a huge forest fire burning up all the Philistines uh, grains and, and, and olive, I mean, and uh, vineyards and uh, uh, olive orchards. And so they get mad, and uh, with them being furious, they uh, kill his ex wife and father in law in revenge. Well, Samson tore into the mob of Philistines, struck them down. Leg and thigh, it says in scripture, meaning the Hebrew idiom, meaning complete or total massacre. And Samson fled after that and goes and hides out. Well, the Philistines approached the Israelites as um, finding out, trying to find out where Samson is. And the Israelites being scared and, and they uh, being united with the Philistines and having a joint relationship it seems like and they were at peace with them they had compromised with them uh, with their kind of living and with their style of living and and so in turn they sent out 3,000 men hunting for Samson so they find him and he agrees to come back and when he comes back he wipes out a thousand Philistines uh, with the jawbone of a donkey and other than chapter 16 this is the only other time Samson has offered a prayer that we know of recorded in scripture and then next uh, Samson goes to uh, Gaza and he went in and, with a prostitute there which he should not have and the Philistines find out so they enclose in on him they lock the gates they think that they have him locked in what does he do he tears the gates out and he goes up on the hill with these gates and they get very upset, but are very fearful of it. And then later he meets Delilah, a Philistine, falls in love, 
She's paid by the leaders, nearby cities, to find out his secret. So Samson plays the game with her, finally gives in to her nagging and tells her his secret. And um, he tells her that he had an ancient agent of God since, or he had been an agent of God since birth. A razor had never um, come on his head for uh, he was a Nazarite to God from his mother's womb, he tells her. So he, she tells them this, and then they come in, they gouge out his eyes after they cut his hair. And with this first time in his life, he found out what it was to be abandoned by God, he felt like. For the first time in Samson's life, he realized that he was no longer in control of his life. Now, God had not really abandoned him, but he thought that God was no longer with him because the power of the Holy Spirit that was upon him had left him. He became the grinder of their new grain. He was their donkey, if you will. Humiliated, forced labor was a statement by the Philistines that the superiority of their God, Dagon, was greater than the Israelite God. He had brought disgrace to his God. He was demeaned, debased, disgraced, and de degraded. Samson had failed, abusing God's grace over and over and over again. And he was reaping the corruption of his flesh. What we sow, we will reap, the Bible says. God had put the Holy Spirit upon him, but Samson had chose to live in the flesh. His stubborn self-confidence of flesh within him had led to the seduction of Delilah and all that went with the, the, the falling of his uh, special vows and his secret that he had, no one else had known. And the sad thing is that he did not even realize that he had lost his spiritual power. You know, it's sad to be weak because of sin, but it's tragic to not even know that you are. And that's where Samson was. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Now, we need to understand that none of this is happened or has happened by accident. It is part of God's grace in the life of Samson. may not seem very much like grace, but sometime God must strip away, just like he did with Samson, everything from our lives that keeps us from trusting him. And it may be, very, it may be a very painful process in doing it. But if we will not listen to God when he whispers in our ear telling us that we need to repent, that we need to turn from God, we need to give up this, we need to give up that, then sometimes to get our attention he has to shout. Shout his discipline before us and with us. But you know, with this even, God is so awesome and wonderful and gracious and loving and kind that his purpose was not to destroy Samson. It's not to destroy us or any other believer. 
It is to build us up and teach us to trust God. Samson was trusting himself. He was not trusting God. God's purpose is never to, to break us. It's always to refine us. His purpose is not to break us, but to refine us. Samson had failed over and over again. Never learned from his failures. I doubt he had ever thought of himself even as a failure. But he was. He had broken the law of God. He had toiled with the, uh, the vow of God under which he was born. And he misused his enormous God-given power. The crucial issue is not whether we fail, or, uh, but how we fail. There is such a thing as failing forward. Learning from what we have done wrong and laying hold of God's forgiveness. Now there are other options we can take. And so often we take these. In the midst of our failure we can waller in our guilt, can't we? And we can waller around also in our remorse. We can turn to self-pity. Oh, woe is me. We can make excuses or even accusations and blame it on something else or someone else. We can be overwhelmed by our failure and be stranded right where we are, be dry docked right where we are. But if one chooses to live life blissfully like this, unaware of their failure, this will become the saddest position of all. We cannot learn from what we will not admit. This is why we must continually be examining ourselves by way of having that personal relationship with the Lord. God, I want to please you. Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. God, show me what I, where I am today with you and my walk with you. God, is there anything that's keeping me from being all that I need to be to you, from serving you the way I need to serve you? Anything that I've incorporated into my life that's displeasing to you? God, do I have any relationships that need to be restored that I've broken in my life? Lord, what, if anything, is keeping me from being all that you want me to be? We need to constantly being, be aware of what God is doing and what he wants to do. And the way to do that is constantly allow him to judge us, to show us. God had to shout his discipline for Samson to get his attention. Let him be able, the, the way that he whispers it to us is when we're walking with him on a continual basis. Because we're sensitive to him and his spirit. But then there's from disgrace to restoration. It says in verse 22, however the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved. Now, I don't know about you, but this fascinates me. You know, we with our foreheads, uh, they're growing higher every year. 
the text gives us no clue, though, how it grew back. The verse isn't really concerned with what was happening naturally to Samson's head, though, was it? The scriptures are emphasizing what is occurring spiritually in Samson's relationship with God. His growing hair, it was a visible indicator that his fellowship with God was being restored and growing. In verse 22, we have some very strong, enormous implications here. First of all, it reminds us that no matter how far we fall in our spiritual experience, as we've already mentioned, we will never fall beyond the possibility of God's forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? God's forgiveness is there for us. We choose not to receive that forgiveness and appropriate that forgiveness if we wallow in our self-pity a lot of times or in our condition. And we get further and further away from God. But God's forgiveness is there for us. It was when Samson was weak and desperate that he began to to reach out to the Lord and the Lord accepted him and he accepted him unreservedly. He didn't require him to do anything. This is not only the example in the Bible that, that demonstrates such an act of grace and restoration. It happened to David also and other people. This is not the only example. You remember David, a man who actually committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed when she became pregnant, trying to hide the guilt and sin. This was a man after God's own heart. But David also was restored and knew the happiness of God's forgiveness. It says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. What about the New Testament? Well, you remember Peter. He denied the Lord three times. And it was at the, the, at the time of the Lord's greatest need. Here was a man that said, Lord, not I. I won't reject you. I won't leave you. Did he forgive Peter? Sure he did. And he restored him as an apostle and a leading evangelist of the church. I read about a capable evangelist whom God used in a significant way in the British Isles. But during his ministry, for some reason or another, he, he allowed something to, to enter into his life and it began to cause him to drift away from God and he became burned out. Maybe he, be, he became so actively involved that he left out that intimate relationship, that close fellowship with God that he needed day by day, that refreshing that he needed. We can become so actively involved, me, you, everyone, that we become outwardly active, but not inwardly active. 
And if we're not careful, then we begin to burn out. As with this guy, and he began to drift into sin, this evangelist. And it continued for a number of months. Sad thing about it was it became public knowledge and even made headlines. At first, all he could think of was, I am ruined for life. And we do think about that. When something comes out, we say, oh, how will it affect me before other people? Finally, he realized what a fool he'd been, and he came back to God, just like the prodigal son. And he found exactly the same thing that the prodigal son found, and that was the Lord welcomed him with open arms. And he, he, the Lord began to strengthen him and, and, and uh, restore him and bless him. And finally, after a period of, of waiting, he felt pressed back into the public ministry with the Lord. But he was afraid that his sin would become evident or be made aware of. And so he would be found out and, and it would be brought up all over again. But then as the restoring process continued, he said, okay, I'm going back and I'll just face it. And so he went back to preaching, rejoicing over God's forgiveness, believing that no one, it was gone and, and forgiveness was there and no one would find out. And one night when in Aberdeen, he was uh, given a, a sealed letter when he was preaching or about to preach. And it described a shameful series of events that he had been engaged in during that time, those four months. His stomach churned as he read it, and the letter informed him this. If he had the gall to preach that night, that person who wrote that letter to him would stand up and publicly expose him. Well, the evangelist went quickly to his knees and began to pray and after some time he got up and he went out to preach and this is how he began his message he began by reading the letter from start to finish and then he said I want to make it clear that this letter is perfectly true I am ashamed of what I have read and what I have done. I come tonight not as one who is perfect, but as one who is forgiven. God used that letter and the rest of his ministry as a magnet to draw people to Christ. You know, we can be glad that God is a God who's in the business of forgiving and restoring failures who trust him. Amen? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, by the virtue of the, un, or the finished work of Christ on the cross, we stand unconditionally accepted before God. Unconditionally. Our sins 
have already been paid for. And in the Lord we're made free. Secondly, just because we're immediately forgiven though, when we come to the Lord and we ask for that forgiveness, the restoration process though is a gradual process. Forgiveness is instantaneous, but the process, the, uh, the restoration is gradual. It is a process. It took time for his hair to grow back. And the very instance we turn to the Lord on the basis of 1 John 1, 9, we're forgiven, but the process of restoration takes time. When a uh, significant failure happens in our life, it is not a product of an instant moment usually. It's usually a result of some unconfessed sin or sinful habit in our life that has occurred over a period of time. We've allowed those habits or those sins in our life. And they must not only be unlearned, but new habits must, be, must replace them. And so in turn, the purpose of the Lord is not just to forgive our past, but to guarantee our future. And that kind of restoration does not occur overnight. The third thing is Samson's hair gradually grew back, but he never received his physical eyesight again. When we finally repent of our sins, God does not do away with our past. I wish that it happened. I mean, now he re remembers our sin no more. But the consequences are there. It's kind of like snow. Snow falling, a fresh snow comes. Boy, you, you look out over the yard and it looks so pretty. And it's, it's like a blanket, a white blanket. But then after you go out and play in it, it gets all mushy and, and, and uh, wet and, and muddy. And, and the snow is gone where you've stepped and played. And it's there. Well, another snow comes that night, what does it do? It covers it up. But underneath, the mush and the mess is still there. You know, our consequences will be with us. The same is true in our life, with our, in our spiritual life. No amount of re repenting will undo, the, like with David, the uh, the illegitimate child, the sexual activity they had with Bathsheba, spiritual, I mean with uh, physical adultery, and the killing of her husband. No amount would undo that, and no amount would bring Uriah back. So we must not minimize the seriousness of sin and its consequences. That should help us to say, God, keep us alert so that we won't have to face these. And God, when we face these, to realize that you've forgiven us for them and that we must move on and, and live with this. We make mistakes. We have failures. I'll never forget the deacon in my church out in Oklahoma. God can even use these consequences to not only keep us on our knees and faithful to the Lord, but also to touch other people's lives. They are there. 
But this deacon who was lost and his family were saved and he had these three lovely children. Four later on as he adopted the, the young boy, the one was playing out in the yard in the front and she was sitting down, the little child, at the curb. And a lady came by, was not paying attention and ran over and killed her. Nothing can erase that. Yes, she should have been paying attention, but she wasn't. But one good thing came out of that. That deacon came to know the Lord. He was not a deacon. He was not a Christian at the time. Did it ever bring back that child? No. But he shared that story. And he shared it as a witness to other people. Verse 28 gives us insight in Samson's heart. Second time we hear him pray. First prayer was a cry of faith in the midst of discouragement. This is a prayer of faith from a man who had been through God's refining fire. Surrounded by 3,000 drunken, screaming Philistines, Samson prays. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord, God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged by the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson was a man who accepted God's forgiveness. He was a man who trusted wholeheartedly in God. He was a man who unreservedly committed himself to God and his mission. Which leads us to the final point, from restoration to God's victory. Samson grasped the two middle pillows and pulled them in, and all were killed, or 3,000 were killed. He asked a young man who was a keeper to bring him next to the pillars. You see, if he had had those eye, his eyes, do you think that they would have allowed him out there near the pillars? If he had had his hair, do you think that they would have allowed him there? No. But God used these consequences to, to be glorified through it all. Restoration is not based on our performance, and he learned that. The results of pra uh, Samson's prayer was strength to pull the two pillars down, and they came collapsing down on the 3,000 Philistines, and with that, yes, he died. But Samson, the failure, died a hero. By God's grace, failure, properly dealt with, can be a giant step forward in our growth in Christ's likeness. But we, we must be like Samson. We've got to be willing to admit it. See ourselves for what we are. Accept God's forgiveness. Be patient. Forgiveness is immediate, but restoration takes time. And trust God then to use us. It may not be in the same way. I've known of, as, of ministers that I've known personally who unfortunately fail in their walk with the Lord and in their mission for God. And because of the sin that they committed, they were unqualified to serve. 
but I've seen them serve in other ways. And I've seen some who have failed in that way and gone through a long process of restoration and served once again with their family intact. And I've seen it with other Christians. We may not always be able to do the same thing, but we can do. I can guarantee you this, God has a mission and a ministry for us. It's in the process of restoration. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I